For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Lucas. I got Chris and Uri here as per usual. Hey guys, how are we doing this uh, Sunday evening? Doing well. I got my, my first tickets of the year, guys. I'm going to the Brooklyn Nets game on April 14th. Can't wait to be in the house to cheer on the Sixers. Exciting for sure. Out of the three of us, Uriah actually lives pretty close. Uh, you live in Philadelphia or just north of Philly, right? Uh, I'm in Bucks County. I was born and raised in Philly, though. And okay. so I'd say it's about about 40-minute drive, depending on traffic. Yeah, see, I'm in Virginia. For our listeners that don't know, I'm in Virginia, and uh, Chris is in uh, Atlanta. So we were pretty far away. I just hope Embiid is back by then. That way we can get the matchup we are all looking forward to, like a preview of the playoffs. And but we'll see. I think that's part of the agenda is figuring out when Embiid should come back. So we'll we'll save that for later. For sure. And we'll just jump in right now and talk about some of the recent games. Um, Lucas, the Lakers lost to the Clippers one twenty two to one twelve on Saturday night. What were some of your big takeaways from that game? Against the Clippers, you say? Well, against the Clippers, I'm a little... This is one of those... We we were bound to lose one of these games eventually. We were on a hot streak without Joel. And the Stars won out this night. The Clippers have the biggest star in Kawhi Leonard. So, in that regard, I'm not... I'm not, like, overly torn up about it, especially because it was only a 10-point loss by the end of it. Tobias played pretty well. I mean, the only person that you could really point a finger at is maybe Seth Curry. Outside of that, I mean, everybody else was playing okay. Dwight didn't have that many points, but he actually did okay at the foul line. Moss had a nothing night. So our shooter, or pure, quote-unquote, pure shooters, I don't know if I would put Moss in that same category as Seth, but they had off nights. But overall, the Stars won out in this game. I'm not too surprised. Ben had a Ben game. Tobias lit it up pretty good, though. More free throws would have been nice. I think you can only expect so much against a good team like the Clippers. I'm not I'm not overly worried about it. It's a loss. It's an expected loss without Embiid for sure. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. You know, the Clippers have been on a hot streak of their own. They're, frankly, a much better team when Embiid's not on the floor, um, on the road, West Coast trip. It's not really a shocking loss. It's not really a bad loss. The Sixers competed pretty well. Like you said, Tobias had a great game, 29 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists. Ben did what he does. I, I mean, Dwight had 14 free throw attempts in under 19 minutes. You know, if he could cool it with the techs, then, you know, we might be getting some pretty decent Dwight games. <laughs> um, but I, I will say Mike Scott playing 29 minutes really isn't it. Even, even with, like, the roster in the shape it is with Bradley and Poirier gone, 
like again, I'll, I'll say it. Just just give Paul Reed the minutes because Mike. I, I, I agree with you at this point for sure. He only played four minutes. Yeah, like Mike Scott. Burn. Mike Scott is a negative defender, especially when he's at the five. He hasn't really been hitting shots lately. He was one of six from three in this game. I mean, just having someone who's willing to take six shots from deep is is a positive, I guess. I mean, I understand why Doc wants him there in terms of fit, but he's given you pretty much nothing at this point. I feel like there are more interesting ways to spend those minutes. Let Ben and Tobias like play some small ball five and four. Let Paul Reed get some more minutes. Again, the Dwight thing with him like getting into foul trouble and getting these techs has made it kind of tough too. So that that's not something Doc Rivers can control. But I mean, it all it all comes back down to Paul Reed. So give give the dude some time. I feel like Sixers fans are feeling like Clippers fans last year when we went into LA when Shake Milton showed up and showed out. Uh, they were probably like, "Well, who is Shake Milton?" Well, that's how I felt last night with Terrence Mann. What? Who? Where did that guy come from, guys? I mean, he's he's been he really had a solid rookie year last year, but I mean. I think with the minutes, you know, vacated by Lou Williams because of the trade and Rajon Rondo not being in the lineup yet, I mean, they had to have somebody being a third scorer. Reggie Jackson isn't quite that anymore in his career, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it was a nice game for Terrence Mann. He had some promise as a rookie. Uh, this could be a chance for him to really start to shine, and I, you know, I don't think this, I don't think the Sixers were ready for him. Just like like you said last year, the Clippers weren't ready for shakes. There are players that will surprise you and that just get into a groove when they don't usually play and then they have these big games. It's when these players have consistent minutes, whether or not they can keep maintain this level of play, which is really telling. But I mean, Terrence Mann, he has a good future. He's a solid, he, he was a solid prospect last year. Um, Chris can talk more, probably more on his pre-draft analysis than I could, but from what I could tell, I mean, he was in the rotation a little bit last year, had some promising uh, spots. But you know, Doc, he doesn't like playing rookies. Uh, Tyrone Lou is a little bit more willing to play young players uh, when necessary. So, Chris, did you want to add anything else to that? I, I really liked him at Florida State. I, 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 too, think he has a spot in their rotation moving forward. Maybe not this season as much as upcoming seasons, but he's definitely a player. Has some, like, jumbo point guard skills that are really interesting. I mean, with Lou Williams gone, they're obviously going to need some more help in the backcourt. Rondo... Like, like we can talk about playoff Rondo, but regular season Rondo isn't very good. I think they downgraded pretty considerably there um, in getting rid of Lou Will. So in the meantime, maybe Man gets some more opportunities. They can try out some different um, lineups there. They have a pretty versatile group of players. Um, so they have, they have a lot of lineup combinations they can go to. Man can defend all over the floor. So I do think we'll see more of him in the future. And Lucas, we're going to move on to the Lakers game now. That was a win for the Sixers, 109-101. to Not against a full-strength Lakers team, obviously. Both LeBron and AD were out for that one. But what were some of your big takeaways? I would say the biggest one is that we can still get prime Danny Green occasionally. Obviously, Danny Green is not the same guy that he used to be back in the, with the Spurs or even with the Raptors two years ago. But... This was a vintage, you know, prime Danny Green game where he can go off for like 20 some odd points. He went off for 28 points, 8 of 12 shooting. And honestly, he's been on a hot streak. Even in that Clippers game, I think he shot like 5 of 9 from the three-point line. So he's been shooting over 50% uh, consistently for a good stretch now. 
This is great to see for the Sixers, especially. And I mean, he hit another, he had another clutch game like he did against the Knicks. I mean, this is, I mean, it was great that he was able to get his ring and then he had a clutch game. I don't, there's really nothing else I can say to it except for maybe it was a terrible night shooting for Ben and turnovers wise. And yet they were still able to come out with a eight point win. So good stuff. Green has been playing some really good basketball of late. He's been hitting clutch shots all over the place, you know. So, I mean, just a lot of good things from him lately. 8 of 12 from three-point range in this game. Tobias only had 17 points, but he did it on 8 of 10 from the field. Ben was 1 of 7, as you mentioned. Not a great shooting game, but he did have 12 assists. He had 11 free-throw attempts. And, you know, when Ben isn't getting things to go offensively, if he's able to get to the free throw line a bunch and to still get downhill and collapse the defense, that's how he's going to impact the ball game. So even with a poor shooting night, I think there were some positive signs there. And again, like as long as Dwight can at some point stop getting himself tossed out of games, you know, with, with Tony Bradley not here, they're going to have enough center protection between him and, and I, I guess Mike Scott, if we're still intent on using him until Joel gets back. So just a pretty solid all-around win for against a, what is basically a bad team without LeBron and AD. And, you know, that's the, those are the games they have to win if they want to keep, keep that one seed. So, guys, let me tell you about one of our sponsors. The Sixer Sense Podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Now, Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Did you hear me? 2 million men worldwide. And today, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. Check it out. 20% off, plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Again, the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. So if you're wondering what are some cool items that come in the package, no pun intended, the Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package, which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. In addition, the trimmer comes with an LED light for a more precise shave and is waterproof to make your shower shave clean and easy. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. So, what are you waiting for, guys? Stay trimmed and stay fresh for your wife or your significant other. Just use the code FANSIDED20 to get your 20% off and free shipping today. And now, back to the pod. I will say this. Doc Rivers is not known for playing rookies. We all knew this coming in. Very rarely has a rookie you know, cracked his rotation on a contending team. So as much as I know you love Paul Reed, it just, it, Doc likes his vets. And as much of a whole, you know, Mike Scott is as a five, starting five, I mean, he's just going to go with that because that's what he got. And we know that he likes to white off the bench. So our really only other option, well, actually, no, they would have to wave, wave that new guy. What's his name? Ignas Biz. Chris, can you help me out here? I'm I'm gonna butcher his Just name. Just call him Iggy. I think that's the easy. Yeah, yeah, Iggy. Yeah. Not not Iggy Dalla, of course, but it, the new school Iggy. There we go. We'll just do that anyway. Um, and so if they wave him, they need to get a center. There's, 
I know Chris doesn't like DeMarcus Cousins, but if Doc isn't going to play Paul Reed, then your best second, your next best bet is DeMarcus Cousins. Though I would have loved if we could could have gotten Gorgie Jane. Oh my gosh, he was great at when he was in college at Louisville. He was a solid starting center for a long time. He's still a quality backup. He can stretch the floor, rebound, protect the rim at a decent rate. Like he he would be an ideal guy to have in your. Uh, off your bench to be to be completely honest but i I, you know he he signed with the spurs so that's not an option anymore hey can i say one thing about the lakers game so the last time i talked to both you guys it was that night and Mm -hmm. when we got off i stayed up and and edited it and and i got i got it up on the uh, omni site and i figured i'd watch the rest of the game and we had a nice lead i just remember watching that lead dissipate and I was getting more and more anxious. And then of all the people who bailed us out, Danny Green hit that three, and I just said, wow, this guy is really stepping up the past few weeks. And I'm, ha- I'm happy for him. I'm, I'm happy that he's finding a place to be consistent on the team. But what is going on with Mike Scott, guys? He, I don't know. What do you guys think is up with Scott? Well, let me take this first, Chris, because I've been saying this for most of the season. Right, he is one foot in retirement. I almost, I, mm-hmm. I feel pretty good about saying this. He's probably not going to get another NBA contract. He's he, yeah. he looks washed this season. I mean, he's trying hard. He's playing with hustle, but he's not a guy that you know was hugely athletic to begin with, and his shots not falling anymore. He's he was never a good rebounder. He was a gritty defender, but not a great defender. By any stretch of the imagination, he's undersized for for power forward, especially a center. And if he's not hitting shots, which he's not yeah. this year, he's there. He has no value. And I mean, I don't like saying that because everybody loves Mike Scott. Yeah. But at this, at the, at the end of the day, he's not going to get an, another NBA contract. I'm just, I'm just waiting for him to have a, a quote unquote Mike Scott game. Every player we've had on the team this year has had a game. You know, the Furcon Corkmaz game, the Shake Milton game, even the Tony Bradley game, he would go off. But we have yet to see Mike Scott have a game where he goes five for eight from three or something like that. So, I don't know. Chris, what do you uh, think? But man, like I said, he's in retirement. Chris, do you want to add anything to that? I'd really rather that he wasn't getting all these minutes. It's just an unfortunate byproduct of the current situation with injuries and with you know, the people who were traded away and with Doc clearly not ready to invest in, in the Paul Reed hype, you know, the only other option at that point is Mike Scott. So, again, like, theoretically, he fits. He's taking a lot of threes. That volume alone helps somewhat with Ben and, and Joel when Joe is in the game, but he's pretty much a nothing burger in every other way, which is really hard to overcome. So... We'll see what happens when Joe gets back, when George Hill gets here. I I would assume Mike is the guy who loses the most minutes. I I would assume they go smaller, but in the second unit. But we'll we'll see what happens. But shifting gears now, I want to talk about uh, the Sixers' biggest rival in the East, and that's the Brooklyn Nets. And you know the the phrase "the rich keep on getting richer." It, there's no denying it. The Nets recently signed Lamarcus Aldridge to their roster and they they already have a pretty decently stacked roster but how do you think this impacts the chances of the Sixers winning Chris this season 
I mean, I I really don't think it impacts it much at all. It really doesn't worry me from Philadelphia's perspective. Um, I'm not trying to say that LaMarcus Aldridge can't do anything. He can space the floor a bit, still hit some shots, make some buckets. Like, I'm sure he'll still score some points off the bench there. He'll get his share of minutes. But defensively, he's been among the worst, like, defenders in the league this year when he was playing for San Antonio. Like, he was really bad for stretches there. I don't expect him to just turn that around all of a sudden in Brooklyn. I think it's an age and athleticism thing more than an I'm-not-trying thing because the Spurs are a playoff team right now. It's not like San Antonio was losing games. So, I, I like, defensively, I don't think he can share the floor with Blake Griffin. So, there's been all this talk about them signing Blake and Aldridge and 41 combined all-star appearances. Like, Aldridge and Blake are basically going to be competing for minutes. Those two probably can't play together consistently because of the defense. He's going to be taking minutes away from someone like Nick Claxton, who has done some really interesting things defensively and offensively for Brooklyn with his versatility this year. A former UGA Bulldog as well. Shouts to him. Like, I really don't think it's it's all that that it's been made out to be. It's really it, it like the offense was going to be elite either way. You know, they offense was never going to be a problem there. I don't think he helps the defense at all. So I'm I'm not too worried about it. Well, I think there is something to it. Uh, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski did say they that he is expected to play a decent amount of minutes moving forward. So he's not going to be like a 20 minute type of night guy. I think they brought him in for him and DeAndre Jordan to be the big bodies that they can throw at Joel because that outside of Jordan, Claxton's a stick still. Even though he's really good, he's he's a stick. Joel would punish him and. So then you got two big bodies now. Lamarcus is like what six eleven and Jordan six ten, and they're both like you know they're not they're not sticks like Claxton and they're not undersized like Griffin or um, Jeff Green. So I think that was the thought behind it. He can space the floor still. I you know he's somebody that can you know they can put in the middle in the paint that won't be like completely torched against a bigger guy like Joel. He will get torched by smaller teams. I, I no doubt for that for sure. But if this impacts the Sixers matchup, I don't think it really does because I still think Joel's going to have his way. But that's that's the move they wanted to make. I guess they lost out on. Uh, well, we know for a fact they lost out on Andre Drummond, who's now a member of the Lakers. So I guess he would be the next best thing uh, to throw at you know at Joel. Because what they're doing now is trying to protect themselves from being destroyed by Joel. And I don't yeah. think LaMarcus Aldridge really moves the needle there. Yeah. It, I, does it? Does he, does he help in other matchups? Yes, but not against the Sixers. Yeah, like Joel is going to leave Aldridge's feet like planted in cement. It, it's. Mm-hmm. I have no concerns about Aldridge stopping and beat at this point in his career. Yeah. Like if it was... 2014, we could have a conversation about Aldridge's defense impacting a series, but it's not. You know, Woj said that he's going to see a significant amount of his minutes at center. Again, that's exactly what was tweeted out about Blake Griffin when he signed. Uh, Like, DeAndre Jordan isn't the quickest guy in space either, so finding minutes for DJ, Aldridge, and Griffin all together in that front court is going to be tough. Don't forget about Green and Claxton. Yeah, Green and Claxton. They play center too. Are probably yeah, they play green at center, so yeah, you got to throw him in there too. 
Yeah, so, I mean, Aldridge and Griffin might end up being, like, 20-minute-a-game guys, and not much more than that. Um, I mean, he, like, Aldridge and Embiid one-on-one is a, a really bad look. Like, you might want to just go small and swarm Embiid with double and triple teams and try to get him out of rhythm and give him different looks. Like, I, I don't think Aldridge really helps in that regard. So, I, I really don't think the upside is as big as people are making it out to be. Like, he was averaging 14 a game in San Antonio in 28 minutes. He's not going to play that much. The defense is a big zero right now. So it's really not some like game changing, you know, throw in the towel. It's over kind of signing because it's not, I just don't think it is. Yeah. I I don't think it might affect other series. Like if they play against the heat or like the, maybe the bucks, but not, not against the Sixers. Well, like bam would roast them just as well. Giannis would tear through them, so I, I really don't think he's going to help really much at all. Like, he'll get them a few extra buckets, maybe off the bench, but that's about the extent of it, I think. Mm-hmm. So, but, but staying on the Nets for one more second here, Chris, do you think with all these new pieces and the fact that Kevin Durant has missed so much time and Kyrie Irving has gone on net yet another personal leave, do you think they have enough time to make the chemistry build up the chemistry to where they where it needs to be for a playoff run? Do you think that's something that the Sixers can kind of count as a tool against them? The lack of you know playing time together. I mean, maybe and there's there's always a risk when you bring together a lot of good players. You know, the first season is a bit of a learning curve. We saw that with Miami um, when they brought together the big three. They made it to the finals, but they lost to a team that they probably shouldn't have lost to. You know, all respect to Dirk, who was wonderful, but it can take some time. That said, the stuff we have seen when all three of them are together, even in very limited spurts, has been pretty remarkable. You know, Kyrie and Harden have been tearing through the league by themselves. I, I doubt that adding KD is going to make it worse. You know, these are three of the most gifted individual scorers of all time. Harden is a very unselfish player by nature. Kyrie and KD were working just fine when they were together early in the season. Like, I, I think that we able to figure it out. There's just too much talent for them not to. Um, I think Blake and Aldridge now have a pretty solid understanding of their role going in. I don't think they're going to command the ball more than they need to. So I, I really wouldn't be worried about that if I was a Brooklyn fan. Like, I think the offense is going to be miles ahead of everyone else pretty easily. It's the defense that I would worry about. You know, how are they going to defend Joel? I do think the Sixers have maybe the biggest advantage of any team in the East in that the bulk of their offense is going to be just pounding it into the middle, and that's where Brooklyn's weakest. I, I, I really think the offense and chemistry stuff is not much of a concern. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tend to agree that I don't think their stars will have a problem adjusting. I think it's gonna be all the role players. I think when you bring in guys like Lamarcus, uh, Griffin, and then you have the already established role players. I mean, Nick Claxton isn't like he missed the first half of the season, mostly due to rehabilitating an injury. So when you have role players it's never about those main guys, especially these guys, because they seem to be like, okay, apparently Harden and Duran are okay with Kyrie taking the most shots, even though he should probably be taking the least amount. I think the issue is going to be like, how do you, like, I know that you say, yeah, they probably know their roles, but 
do they, they they might know their roles offensively, but do they know them defensively, and can they fulfill them to the point where they, it needs to be for a playoff run, Chris? And that's that's where I think the question really comes. Yeah, I mean, I, I defense is definitely the biggest concern here. Um, I mean, even then, I'm less worried about the stars. Like, KD's a good defender when he's locked in. Harden's a pretty good defender when he's locked in. Kyrie's not bad either. Like, they're all fine defenders, regardless of what their reputation may or may not be. Like, Aldridge and Griffin are, depending on how much playing time they get, probably the biggest concerns there. DeAndre Jordan as well. Um, when, like, they have some really good defensive role players. Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, um, who's been really good this season. Claxton, again, they have some versatile bodies in there. I mean, I would think it's going to be somewhat like a Houston situation, ideally, where they can do a bunch of switching and just throw different bodies at different people. Like, the Griffin and Aldridge don't fit into that again, but if they do maximize their personnel, I think they'll be able to figure it out more than well enough to to win a championship. Like, this is just a really talented and gifted team all around. But we'll we'll have to see how how it all pans out. And we're going to move on now and talk about the health status of some of the Sixers' more important pieces. We'll start, Lucas, with Joel Embiid. Um, the update from the team recently was, quote, He has continued to progress well through his rehabilitation program. He has resumed on-court basketball activities while ramping up his conditioning. The next update on his status will be provided as this, as appropriate. That was from Kyle Newbeck of Philly Voice. Lucas, should the Sixers bring Embiid back as soon as he is cleared to play, or should they be extra cautious and give him some more time to to get healthy and get in shape? I think they definitely need to make sure that he's 100%. This is Joel's prime right now. We are in Joel Embiid's prime, and this is the healthiest and most in shape he's been all of his career. And if that means sacrificing a few more games, which the team has actually been playing pretty good without him, so there's no rush to get him back. The only rush would be on Joel's part, and that's because he would want to win MVP, which is silly in the end because, honestly, I think he could still have a chance if he comes back 100% healthy, completely in shape, and and continues to pick up where he left off because this is a weird season. I don't think anybody's going to hold it against him for missing uh, some additional time. Because at the end of the day, I mean, even if he doesn't win it, he's going to be a beast in the playoffs. And that's the most important part. So, no, he should play when he's completely healthy, not just when he's clear to play. And he needs to make sure that he's in shape. Because the last thing you want to do is bring uh, – because I've, I've, like, I've had knee issues. It's not, it's not fun. And I've had a bone bruise. It takes a while to come back. It took me – I'd say it took me at least a month before I was walking without any type of help or without any type of brace or anything. Like it took me a long time to come back from that. And I was in high school where my body was healing a lot faster than probably what his 26 year old body is healing at right now. So he needs to take his time. There is no rush. The Sixers are playing fine without him. He just needs to be ready for the playoffs. It might ruin his chances of winning an MVP this season, but it will help his career so much more in the long term, and that's where the Sixers should be thinking. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious at this point with how Embiid's career has panned out that caution is always the right approach with him. Um, He's been a lot better lately in his career, you know, understanding his limitations physically and not pressing past the point 
where where he you know we we saw his meniscus tear an example he early in his career when he was jumping around going for all these chase down blocks landing awkwardly like he's cut down on a lot of that i think he has a much better understanding of his body than he did when he came into the league the mvp stuff i i, I don't get the sense i mean it doesn't seem like he truly cares about that enough to rush back from an injury at this point in his career i think he's more focused on winning the title like the mvp race might be out of reach already i don't think him getting back two or three games earlier is really going to change it at the end of the day even if the sixers do lose home court advantage to brooklyn i'd much rather have a full strength rested and bead in, in tip-top shape and have to play game seven on the road if they get to a game seven versus, you know, not having that and probably not getting to game seven anyways. So health is definitely paramount for sure. And moving on to another sixer who is currently on the injury reserve list, and that is, of course, George Hill, who has acquired at the trade deadline. Lucas, he missed most of this season. It's only played 14 games so far due to a wrist injury. He is expected to be back soon, or it's a thumb injury, pardon me. Once he does get back and he's back at full strength, how many minutes do you think he's going to be seeing? If I had to guess just off the top of my head, I, I would say about 20 to 23. That seems to be the top tops for most of Doc's bench guys is between the 20 and 23 range. He doesn't usually go over 24 for the for his uh, bench. That's what Shake Milton's been playing around and, Occasionally when Cork Maz is hot, that's what he's been playing around. So I, I would expect no more than 20 to 23. But I, I would say more in the 20 range just because he's an older player and Doc probably wants to save him for the playoffs as well. But yeah, that's that's where I would say he would probably be at. I agree. Milton's averaging about 24, 25 a game this season. I would expect Hill to supplant him eventually as, you know, the de facto sixth man i think he's easily the best player in the second unit right now um you know his value as a ball handler and a facilitator as well as defensive value in the backcourt is, is pretty high he's going to close a lot of games i think he brings a dynamic that this team hasn't really had on both sides of the ball so he's probably going to be the most important player in the second unit i would not be surprised if he's up there around 25 a game um, I mean, in the playoffs, it might creep even a bit higher. Um, you know, he's just a really solid all-around player. He's going to play a lot of minutes with the starters. He's going to be leading those second-unit all-bench groups that Doc likes to play, especially in the second quarters. So I would expect it's a fair amount for a reserve. Yeah, and you bring up an interesting fact about him closing games. In your opinion, who should he be closing the game over, Seth Curry or Danny Green? Um, I mean, it's it's always game and matchup dependent. You know, it, it's not one guy is the right answer, one guy is the wrong answer. I would guess that, I mean, Danny has kind of been the guy that Doc shies away from late in games for most of the season. Recently, that, that has changed a bit because Danny's just been going berserk. Assuming that reverses course at some point, I, I would expect we see a lot of games with Hill and, and Curry maybe in that that final group especially if offense is what's needed more than defense but either way I, I i it'll probably just depend on the game but i think george hill is just as good if not better than those two so i, I expect doc to play around and see what what he has it with multiple lineup combinations it's crazy to think that this guy who has been in the league since 
I think he got drafted 09, if I want to if I remember correctly. He's been in the league for a long time, Chris, and he's he is just he, like he he's not a major, you know, m- you know, piece for the Sixers, but he does make them better even though he's I think he's in his 13th season. This is his 13th season right here, I, I think off the top of my head. So it's just crazy how how impactful and you know how how good his longevity is that he's still this impactful at this stage of his career. He was a he was a key piece for those San Antonio dynasty and then he was a starting point guard for those really good Pacer teams that had, you know, Roy Hibbert and Paul George. And then he, I mean he bounced around a little bit, but then he got his footing back with the Cavaliers and then the Bucks. So like this guy, I mean, he's been around for a minute and the type of, you know, is it, not just going to be you know, what he brings on the court. It's definitely going to be what he brings off the court. And I, I will say this. I really like the idea of having Milton off the ball. I think it's going to – I would not be surprised if we see a big uptick in Milton's three-point shooting because he's best at his catch-and-shoot. When he's initiating the offense, he cannot catch-and-shoot, obviously. So I think he's going to be a lot better three-point shooter now that Hill has, has the ball. And it, I want to bring up one other fact, Chris. It hasn't been since Sergio Rodriguez in the 2016-17 season that the Sixers have had a true veteran point guard on the roster. Just think about that for a second. Ben has not had a true veteran on this roster. If you don't, you can't count Howell Neto, Trey Burke. You can't count TJ McConnell. Like I'm talking a guy over his 30 that's that's been in the league for 10 plus years. Like they haven't had that, you know, at the point guard position. Since 2000, I mean, granted, Sergio hasn't been in the NBA for 10 plus years, but he's been playing basketball for a very long time. And that's good for Ben and especially these two young guys, for sure. Yeah, I definitely think Hill will bring a lot to this team, both on and off the court. You mentioned his longevity. I mean, it's my understanding is that he was fifth and sixth man of the year voting last season with Milwaukee. So the the dude's been playing really quality basketball really recently for good teams. He wasn't as great in Cleveland, but he was still playing a lot of minutes on a, on a finals team with LeBron James. So it's well documented that he can play important minutes in important games. And the Sixers have needed really just another facilitator, another point guard on this roster for a while. He's not Kyle Lowry. He's not going to bring that star-level impact. But he's going to help the second unit a ton. He's going to help, again, close games. So I, I think there's a lot to like. For sure, for sure. I, I Like I said, I, I've always felt like the Sixers needed a, a true veteran uh, at the point guard position on this roster, and now they finally get it. But speaking of a veteran that's, well, you know, that's been on this roster recently, we're going to shift gears and go to a former Sixer now, Horford. Chris? Al Horford's been put inactive for the rest of the season to give the young guys there a chance for playing time. And granted, a guy like Moses Brown really is starting to catch fire, so I don't really blame them. But Chris, what do you think what's going on with Horford and OKC? Well, I mean, I think you said it. Like, they just want to get the young guys some minutes. Horford's been playing pretty well this season. Um, They've given him a lot of rest up to this point. That was mostly, it seems, in an effort to preserve his trade value. He didn't get traded. They're trying to tank. They aren't trying to win games. Horford helps them win games still. So 
you know, it was reported that he's still going to train with the team, be in the facility, be around the team. So they're still going to have his veteran leadership in the locker room. But it's to get more minutes to guys like Moses Brown and Isaiah Roby. I think it's pretty much that simple. I don't think there's any ulterior motive. I don't think there's anything wrong with Horford. You know, I, I think it's just a young team that is kind of has an eye towards the future. And Horford is, due to his age, is not part of that future. For sure. And uh, it should be noted that, uh, you know, the GM, Sam Presti, will be working with Al, Al Horford's agent and working on a trade for him this offseason. So we certainly wish him the best there. But shifting gears for a second, it, it, you know, obviously we can all say that Brett Brown did not maximize last year's roster to its fullest potential, especially the players on that roster. Do you think Horford would have done better under Doc Rivers if, you know, that trade for Danny Green never happened? We've talked about it a lot last season like that roster was just poorly built in so many ways um i i mean i think horford struggles and i think the Sixers struggles fell were much more I, I feel like the personnel department was much more to blame than brett himself i don't think it was really a coaching issue i think it was much more of a gm front office issue would al be having a better season under doc it's possible but if the Sixers had the same roster as last season, I don't think they'd be much better. I think they'd still have all the same critical flaws. Um, like, a lot of the flaws that this team has had in general, they still have. Like, granted, they're the number one seed in a very weak conference. A lot of guys are playing career-best basketball. Joel has been the MVP when he's been on the floor. But, you know, the lack of ball handling, turnovers, all of that is still an issue. They haven't really solved those issues under Doc. All of that was exasperated last season by the lack of shooting and the congested front court. So, I mean, I think my short answer is no. I don't think it would be much difference. I don't think that was a Brett thing. I think that was just generally Horford did not fit with this roster. His skill set was not maximized next to Joel and Ben. He didn't accentuate their skills in any way. So I, I think that was just a bad fit all around. There wasn't much Brett could do about that. And just to wrap this up real quick, Chris, you know, based off of, you know, we lost Poirier and Tony Bradley at the tread deadline. Howard's been unpredictable with his temperament lately. Would we take back Horford if, in a buyout situation if the, you know, if, if that were to arise, which is probably unlikely, but if that were to arise, do you think do you think the Sixers and Horford would want a reunion with him coming off the bench or no? I mean, I I don't I definitely don't think Horford would want it. <laughs> but at, like hypothetically, would the Sixers be making a good move if Horford were to come back for like three or four million a year? Of course. I mean, I think he's definitely better than Dwight. Um, I've been a pretty big fan of what Howard has given the Sixers this season. A lot of people have sort of you know, erroneously claimed him the best backup in Joe's time with the team. I think that's kind of silly. Horford was clearly a better player. I think it, he just wasn't a backup for long enough. And even when he was a backup, he was playing next to Joel a lot. And that fit was just not great. There were maybe injury concerns that weren't as well documented last season as they were in the offseason with Horford, you know, talking about his knees and talking about not feeling 100% all year. If he were to come back on a $4 million year deal, like I think that'd be a steal. So, yeah, I think the Sixers would love to have him back. I don't think he'd love to come back. But 
Yes, I, I think it would be a positive, hypothetically. Of course it would be nice for him to have a buyout. I mean, for him to come here and, you know, play on a cheap contract as a pure backup, yes, it would be awesome. I, you know, he would obviously be an upgrade over Howard, and he would be a much better fit next to Ben in the second unit. There's no denying that. The, the, the issue is it's never going to happen, Chris, and the reason why is that after this season, he still has two years on his deal with the second year still being like partially guaranteed, but it's still a lot of money guaranteed. I think it's like 19 or 18 million. So no, buyout's definitely not going to happen. And even if he did, I'm pretty sure his sister would say no for him to come back because she really does not like us fans here. And I Oh, she wouldn't. She would never let that happen. Anna Horford, no. oh, she'd be all, she's probably on Twitter right now still blasting the Sixers. Uh, you know, yeah. if she listens to this podcast, we're not, we don't hate you, Anna Horford, but we, we feel like you hate us. And I get it. Like, I get yeah. it. I'll, I mean, I'll say this in her defense. Like, yeah. Sixers fans were jerks all of last season <laughs> towards Al. It, like, yeah. I understand it. He was not very good. He was on, like, the worst contract in the league, and the Sixers were a big disappointment, and people needed to take out their anger somewhere. But generally speaking, venting anger on Twitter is not not a great idea. It normally does not turn out well. And there is a lot of vitriol, you know, in her in her Twitter mentions and stuff that really is, was not a great look for the Philly fan base. Like, I understand why some people weren't big fans of her, but a lot of people took it too far. Yeah. And and Chris, it's not that he was the worst contract. He still is the worst contract in the NBA. Like, especially now that Blake Griffin's all off of his deal. Can you think of a worse contract, Chris, than Al Horford's? I mean, it's not Wiggins Tobias Harris. The Wiggins contract is pretty rough. Yeah, but at least you know, at least you can trade that like, for. And Kenny, okay, okay, I think Horford is. Much more tradable. I'm Horford. Really? Who would you? What team? Okay, if you t- give me a list of teams that would take Al Horford or uh, Andrew, Andrew Wiggins' contract next offseason. Because here's the deal, Chris. Here, here's the deal. You can only trade Al Horford for another bad contract. You the unless unless for some reason the the uh, Thunder are like, oh, let's go ahead and flip the switch, trade all these like thir- thirty four picks that we have to get a superstar. Along with, like, you know, we'll flip out Horford, we'll get, like, whatever else we can get, and then, boom, we'll be a contender again. Like, I don't see that happening this offseason. So I then, mean, like, go to the Warriors, you go to the Warriors, they still have they still have Andrew Wiggins, they can do a sign-and-trade with Kelly Oubre, and they can get a max player for that, the, that combo. They could get Bradley Beal, they could get, I'm trying to think of who else they were connected to besides Beal. Point being is that they could get a max salary guy with those two using Uber and a sign and trade. And I mean, they could even get Andrew Wiggins. I mean, if they really want to, I believe that couldn't they flip Andrew Wiggins for Harrison Barnes? And well, A, I don't think the Kings would do that. Like, Harrison Barnes is a way better player and has been putting together really a solid season. I don't disagree. I'm just saying. You could find trades for Andrew Wiggins. Not not any more than you could find him for Al Horford. I think it's the same I, deal. You'd have to give up picks to get off of Wiggins' contract. I don't think OKC is in, in any hurry to trade Horford. I know they said they're going to work to trade him this offseason. But if nothing comes to fruition and they don't want to buy him out, like they're not they in any hurry to games. 
They'll let him sit they, on the bench again. Yeah, they they should buy him out. I mean, I don't know if they can stretch his contract, but I know they don't like the idea of having dead money on their salary. But they're not they're not in a place to win anything for the next two years anyway. After this year, so why not just waive him? I mean, just have the dead money, allow him to go somewhere else. Yeah, you guys can move on. I don't see the problem there. Uri, do you have any thoughts on this, man? Because like I think. Wiggins is the more tradable contract, and Chris obviously thinks it's Al Horford. Where, where, where do you stand on this? I don't know about the contract details, but I do think that Al Horford is a better player, and I think he adds more front court depth than what Wiggins offers. Wiggins is a bust. He, he's no matter where he goes, he'll get minutes, but he's just mediocre at best. So I'll leave it he's up to you guys. Better for the as a defender though. this year. I mean, he's gotten better as a defender, and he's not a bad three-point shooter now. He's an average three-point shooter. I think he's shooting what around thirty-five percent or something. So that that's it's not a bad yeah. look for Wiggins. He's yeah, just not well, going to be Wiggins a is one off. Pretty much a bad player. Like he gets up a lot of shots and he gets a lot of minutes because that's where Golden State is. But w- Wiggins has generally not been that great this season. He's not a good defender. He, he's a bit better defender. than what he has been in the past. Yeah, he's like an okay. He's a passable defender, but yeah, the shot selection and the, the it's not great still. And Ubre is really not that great a contract situation either. Like sign and trade, sure, but they were trying to deal him at the deadline. It seems uh, he really has not helped his value this season. I don't think he's the kind of asset that would help you move off of Wiggins' contract. Like, I don't think there are teams so desperate to sign Kelly Oubre that they're going to take on Andrew Wiggins. So, OKC would have just as good a shot at swapping Horford for Beal as Golden State would have swapping Wiggins for Beal. Like, well, I, let I, me just say this: you know what? What the what the um, Warriors have that the Thunder don't. They have the pick that matters most. They have the Timberwolves pick, either this year, a top three protected, or next year unprotected. That is more valuable than any of the other picks that OKC has right now. Yeah. And and I, do lot. they want to get rid of that? Like, if they want if to. They can, if they can flip Andrew Wiggins with that for a superstar like Beal. You can't. The Wizards wouldn't take just, like, it'd take more than just that pick. To get Beal, it take. I mean, you throw their pick in this year, which will probably be a lottery pick too. You take those two picks plus uh, Wiggins. I mean, that's 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 a good starting point, at least. Sure, but OKC has even more picks in terms of volume, so I I think kind of. Well, what's what's more what's more important, quality or volume? Well, if you ask the Brooklyn Nets, it's. Apparently, volume. So, just apparently, you're, you're yeah. going to talk to. But all right, let's get off Wiggins, guys. Let's wrap yeah. this up. Yeah, you're right. Take it away. <laughs> all right. So, for the social media question of the week, we had a picture of Doc Rivers, and the question was, "What should be Doc Rivers' focus for the rest of the season?" Now that we have the roster solidified, and Joel is returning soon, along with George Hill, let's go to Twitter. We have DJ Fortnite. He got the most likes with his response. Here's what he said. Letting this MVP do more King stuff. Now substitute stuff with an expletive and you'll see how he feels about B-Ball Paul. Chris, he's given B-Ball Paul a big shout out. So uh, he thinks that Paul should get more minutes. Let's go to Facebook. There's a few people that had some interesting responses. Frank Brown said, keeping the team healthy and giving Maxi more minutes. 
Daryl Brown, I don't know if they're related. Uh, he says they went with experience for the playoffs. Uh, Wretch Gross holding on to first place and home court advantage, which I happen to agree with. And then Darnell Sadler said Ben Simmons offensive sets and team defense. So, uh, Lucas, what do you think should be Doc Rivers' focus? Making sure this team stays focused. Right now, it's very easy with Ben playing the best defense in the NBA and Joel being an MVP candidate and, you know, Tobias being snubbed as an all-star. You could look at all these other things that the players, you know, the three, the core three could look at and get distracted, but that's not what they're doing this for. They're doing it for a championship. Doc Rivers is the best at keeping a team focused for the most part. I mean, gosh, he got the Clippers through that uh, James Dolan situation. So, they need to, he needs to keep this team focused, especially when they have a team who is better on paper than them in the Brooklyn Nets and arguably the, the Milwaukee Bucks. They need to stay focused if they want to have a chance to win this. I agree. I think that's that's a good way to put it. Uh, maintaining focus and determination with this team is going to be paramount to any hopes that like winning the East and winning the championship, um, they cannot be content with where they are. Even as the number one seed, I think they're pretty clearly not the best team in the league right now. So they should definitely stay hungry. And I think a lot of that falls on Doc and the leadership structure in the locker room. Obviously he's going to have to work George Hill into the rotation. He's going to have to work Embiid back into the rotation once he gets back. So it's, you know, maintaining some level of consistency and continuity as they work in a returning piece, a returning MVP caliber piece, and, you know, a new sixth man is is going to be pretty big too. So balancing chemistry and just keeping up the momentum that they have and that they've pretty much been gaining for the entire season is really going to be important. Originally, I thought it was all about home court advantage, and I thought about it and looked at how much better they are on the road. I'm going to revert back to a different perspective that I have to admit I did see on social media. Someone said that uh, getting the rotation set and I think bringing in a new player like Hill and then figuring out who's going to be phased out, whether it's Mike Scott or Korkmaz, because the more minutes they get together and the more continuity, like Chris is talking about, that they can develop, the stronger the chances of taking down a team like Brooklyn or Milwaukee or even even Miami. So I'd say consistency. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And like getting the rotation set without Mike Scott, <laughs> it'd be a great place to start. Oh, yeah. Um, Like like once Embiid and Hill are back, even, I don't care about matchup, size, whatever. Like Scott should not be in the rotation. It, it's pretty clear that it should be the starters plus Hill, Shake, Korkmaz, Dwight, and Matisse. Like that should be the group. I don't think there's really any room for for Mike at that point. So, you know, keep Mike and Tyrese and Isaiah out of the rotation. I, I really don't think it's their time yet. Um, in respect to the two rookies, like, I just don't think it's going to happen this year. So, getting the rotation. But, Chris, what about B Ball Paul? Well, what about B Ball Paul? Is yeah. it his time? When it beat Paul's out. time? Yeah, with him okay. beat out. But once it beats back, and once we're like looking towards the postseason, no more Mike Scott, please. That's a pretty big one. So what I'm hearing you say is it's time for power forward cork mods. Yes, I'm ready for it. No, I mean, offensively, <laughs> offensively Matisse would be the quote-unquote power forward. But you're going to have Ben and Tobias staggering minutes. 
I, I mean, Korkmaz is not going to be guarding fours ever. I don't think that's ever going to be them. I, I know, I know, but I, I just... I, it's something that Brian Jacobs of the Payton line has been preaching, and honestly, offensively, it kind of makes sense for Korkmaz because he's not super quick, but he, he would be quick enough to take advantage of opposing power forwards. And he he's it's not like he's not long. He's just not quick off his feet. So maybe opposing power forwards who are, might be a little bit stronger than him, but he would be close to the same length and height. He might not be a terrible idea to small ball four at this point, because I mean, defensively, how much more are you losing with Corkmaz, you know, guarding guys than Scott at this point in his career? I mean, I love Mike Scott, but he, it's been pretty bad, man. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that obviously comes down to matchups. I mean, that's one of the things with Doc. Like during the regular season, we're probably not going to get Ben and Tobias staggered completely. We're going to have those all bench groups. And if that's, like, really the way that Doc wants to go, it might be a little difficult to play Hill, you know, Milton, Farcon, and Matisse at the same time. That might be a bit of a... might be a bit too small. But if he does stagger the rotations like he should, then it should be pretty easy to face Mike Scott out of the group. I mean, it just stagger the rotations. <laughs> for sure. But I, I think, Chris, it's time for you to play us out, man. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. If you are listening on iTunes, Google Play, Omni, wherever you are, please leave us a five-star review and a rating review, what have you, if you can. It would really help us out if you are listening on the website. You know, drop a comment on the article. Anything that you have to give us, we would really appreciate. Let us know your suggestions, topics you want discussed, what have you. We will definitely listen to that. And we have some very exciting guests coming up in the near future. So keep tuning in, and we'll be back next week with some more Sixers content. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.